Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Food for Thought. I've had a bit of time out to get Series 2 together, and it's been a crazy busy start to the year with January hitting us all hard. I know it's been a struggle for everyone, so I hope that this podcast is going to be a source of useful information to carry us through into the new year. Our first guest is someone I've been wanting to get into the studio for quite a long time. So without further ado, here is Episode 1 of Series 2 of Food for Thought. I am thrilled to have partnered with Mindful Chef in the second series of Food for Thought. Mindful Chef is all about convenience, quality and balance, delivering simple, nutritious and sustainably sourced fresh recipe boxes straight to your door. With dairy-free, gluten-free and vegan recipes available, there is something for absolutely everybody. And what's more, for every meal sold, Mindful Chef donates a school meal to a child in need you can save £20 across your first two boxes from Mindful Chef, plus get a free cookbook from the founders by heading to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought. Or if you use the code from this podcast, food for thought, when you order your first box, that will be applied. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. The world of science is constantly evolving, and we now know our genes may play a larger role than we ever once knew. But can it impact our appetite and our behaviour around food? Is there a deeper physiological role involved with how much food we intake on a day-to-day basis? There is also a school of thought that believes calories tell us everything there is to know about food. Is it healthy or unhealthy, fattening or slimming? So joining me today to translate his pioneering research into the human appetite and debunk toxic diet advice is Dr. Giles Yeo, one of the UK's leading scientists in obesity with over 20 years of experience dedicated to researching the brain's control of food intake. Hello, Giles. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Very excited. It is really exciting. I think it's a topic that's on everybody's lips at the moment. It is. No, you know, I I think... 
over the 20 years, the, I think the problem has only gotten worse, you know, in terms of obesity and diet-related illnesses. Mm. So unfortunately, looking at, at the trajectory, looking at everything that's out there at the moment, um, I'm not going to be out of a job anytime soon. No. And would you mind telling everyone what a geneticist does or mm. what that involves? Um, I, I, well, I mean, I study, I study genes. I guess that's what makes me mm. a geneticist. But there are any different flavors of kind of geneticists. You can study genes for just a nerdy study genes point of view. Yeah. But many people use genetics um, to understand um, a biological system or a problem. And I choose and I have chosen to to use it to study why. I mean, I say I study genetics of obesity. Actually, the reality is I study the genetics of body size. Why mm. are we different? Why are some people skinny and some people not mm. skinny and some people um, I'm fat? And so that's what I do. I, and I use genetics in order to try and see, well, uh, uh, how much of a role does um, our, our genes and our DNA actually play in our body, sa- body shape and body size? Absolutely fascinating. I think um, you're kind of like me. and We both know that calories have a place, but I know you're also a great believer in nutrients, not numbers. And do you think you could explain for everyone why you don't think calorie counting is the be or end or and how it maybe ignores the fundamental process of absorption, that kind of thing? Okay. Well, uh, um, I mean, the first thing we have we have to say is that we cannot uh, get past physics. Yeah. So the only way you're going to gain weight is to eat more than you burn, and therefore that's the only way you're going to be able to lose weight. Right? Mm. You're going to have to you're going to have to burn more than you eat, and that's fine. And so this is why people think that calories are a way of actually trying to measure this. Right? Yeah. So you're going to say, well, if I can control the calories that I that that I eat, then maybe mm. I can control my body weight, which is true to a degree. Yeah. What is a calorie? A calorie is is the amount of energy it takes to raise one liter of water by one degree Celsius at sea level. Yes. That's it. That's a pe- <laughs> so, so, so therefore, if you actually absorb that calorie, yes, all calories are equal. But some calories are more equal than others, to badly misquote someone. Uh, <laughs> but because I think what people, what a lot of us fail to do, a lot of us um, fail to do, is to take into account caloric availability. Yeah. And so caloric availability is the amount of calories you can extract from a food and absorb versus how many calories there are in the food to begin with. Mm. So if you take, for example, um, the simplest food available, sugar. If you have 100 calories of sugar, uh-huh. you're going to get pretty close to 100 calories of sugar, <laughs> probably 97 calories yeah, out. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, because it only, it only takes one, one cut, it becomes glucose yeah. and fructose. But if you take 100 calories of sweet corn mm. and you kind of look in the loo the next day, you, you clearly haven't absorbed anywhere close That's to 100. That's a good example that, to use. Thank you, yes. <laughs> 100 calories of sweet corn. But then critically, if you actually take sweet corn, um, dry it, make it into a flour, mm. and make it into a corn tortilla, mm. suddenly you absorb a lot more calories. But mm. yet, when you actually go to the supermarket and look at the back of the pack, it's 100 calories of sugar, 100 calories of sweet corn, and 100 calories of corn tortilla. So if you are counting calories, yeah. where the calories come from do actually matter because you can't get all the calories out of most of the foods. I'm so delighted that you've just shared that example. It's such a good one. Everybody out there, please remember the sweet corn analogy because I definitely think that there's a lot of talk and a lot of buzzwords about calorie deficits at the moment being the sole solution to a problem that perhaps we have with an unhealthy nation. And I actually enjoyed reading the answer to your perfect New Year's diet uh, resolution. It was that never fear food, love it, but don't eat quite as much of it as you want. 
I, it does seem. I am a big believer in in loving food. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't Me mean. Too. Yeah. Exactly. I love. I love food. That doesn't mean that I don't think that the vast majority of non-communicable diseases we are have today is diet related. It it is. We have to mm-hmm. accept that. Yes, right? I agree. But that doesn't mean you try and fix the problem by scaring people away from food. I, mm. I don't understand how that helps because if you scare people from food, you give. There are going to be a percentage of people that then get disordered eating. Well, this is just it. I think the psychological impact yeah. as well has a role to play. Surely, I, I never, I never understood. And you know, some people do are do sit in the school yeah. uh, even today. Mm. You know that guilting someone into doing something is going to do anything at all. Now, I, I think we have to love our food. I mm. think we should eat. Uh, uh, whatever we want, but we do need to eat less of it. And of I think, course. and I think that's what it is. And I think knowing more about the food, how to work with it, mm. will then give us the tool to actually, to actually exactly. love our food. Exactly. And I think we do have a problem where we live in what's known as an obesogenic environment. It is, yeah. And of course, perhaps if you're thinking of a nature nurture thing, if we've got food in our eyesight all the time. That must have an impact on how much we want to go ahead and eat. It does. Uh, you, you know, you have to remember that. All living creatures, not just humans, mm. evolved in a time where we never actually had enough to eat all the time. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, we yeah. had sometimes we had lots of things to eat. Sometimes we had no, nothing exactly. to eat. Yeah. It's probably only, I mean, as far as human society goes, probably only the last what thirty or forty years in mm. which we really could eat as much as we want, or most or most of us can. True. And true. so and so we're in a situation where we've evolved throughout a time where, in effect, if there are calories. Most of most of us are evolved to eat it, okay? Mm. Because it, that's what kept us alive, and that's what all our biology has been has been designed to do. Then you might ask, well, where's the genetics, right? I was going to uh, come on to that point, <laughs> uh, 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 so, which is which is a which is a very good a uh, good question because mm. not not all of us are obese, even no. in this obesogenic environment. Yeah, and and so. I think what happens is while the environment, the obesogenic environment, yeah. has increased the average weight of the population of the species, yes. it has, it yeah. has. Um, not all of us uh, are obese. So how obese become? Mm. If we gain any weight at all, mm. that is going to be down to our um, um, genes. And that's well, why that's the thing because I was doing a lot of reading into your research, and I've also attended a few of your lectures. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've got this wonderful particular lecture with a lot of um, slides and images of young children, actually, um, maybe twin studies, or how about children with identical genetics, or some children at this, that can't stop eating. So I, I mean, there are going to be very rare cases mm. of. Um, of people with mutations, so these are these are actual you know genes that are completely disrupted yeah. that that result in them um, having an appetite that is never sated. Okay, yeah. And so one one example, and this is actually founded by my colleagues, uh, Professor Ratley, Professor Faruqi in, um, in in Cambridge. So okay. this, is, this is their this is their work, but they found this this child uh, or these two first cousins without a, yeah, yeah. without without a gene called leptin or mm. with a mutated gene called leptin. Yeah. Anyway, to cut a long story short, what leptin uh, is, is a marker of how much fat you have, okay, mm-hmm. in, in, in you and in me. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a hormone, it circulates in the blood and it informs your brain, okay, you have X kilos of mm-hmm. fat uh, on board. And yeah. this is important because how much fat you have is how long you would last in the wild mm-hmm. without food. So yes. yeah, so it's a pretty important integer to actually hold. Mm. And what then also happens is, as your fat goes away, say you're starving, 
okay, you have less fat because you're starving. And so therefore your leptin levels drop. Mm. And it's this dropping levels of leptin that turns on the starvation response. Mm. So leptin does two things. It informs your brain, how much do I have in the bank? Mm -hmm. And you don't have enough in the bank, do something about it. Yes. These kids, because they didn't, they don't have leptin, think they have nothing in a bank, even though they have huge amount of fat on board. Yeah. And so therefore, they have this... No um, off switch. They have no off switch. They mm. absolutely have no mm. off switch. They have a brain that thinks they're starving all of the time. In fact, it's very tragic. I, I, I've spoken to, um, and there are probably 30 or 40 families now like that that's been oh, discovered. Gosh. And I've spoken to some of the clinicians that actually work with these kids. And I mean, it's, I, I do think it's, it's tragic because these mm. kids, they said there are two switches in these kids. They're either crying mm. because they're hungry or eating. But the problem is when you eat, as you and I know, at some point you become full, mechanically yeah. full. Okay? Yeah. Now, these kids don't feel full in their brain, but they feel full everywhere physically. else in their stomach mm. and, and, and physically. How does that feel? To, to, to be stuffing so that you feel like you have a tummy ache, but yet your brain is thinking, I'm starving, I'm starving. Aww. Now, you might think, well, that sounds very exotic. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that sounds very rare. Very rare, yeah. And what does this have to do with you and me and why, Please I, can't, tell us. why I can't lose? Yes. Well, um, as I said, that's very rare. For the vast majority of us, the vast, vast majority of us, there are probably what we now know about 200 or so genes, there are probably going to be more to be found, okay. that are associated with our size. So they're not right. fat genes or thin genes, okay. but a mix of them will then indicate whether or not you're likely to be fat or likely to be thin. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Some of these genes, only some of them, but some of these genes act within the brain and influence how sensitive your brain is to the signals of leptin. So what do I mean mm. by that? So as I said, leptin indicates how much fat you have. Yeah. So imagine you have 20 kilos of fat on you, or mm -hmm. maybe not you. Imagine <laughs> I have 20 kilos of fat, and, uh, and it's signaling to the brain. But imagine if your brain is slightly less sensitive, so yeah. your brain thinks that it only has 18 kilos of fat. Okay. So it may then think, oh, well, I, I need to make it up to 20 kilos of fat, so you mm. eat more. Mm. Then there's another. So when your how your brain controls food intake, it needs two major pieces of information. Okay. It needs to know how much fat you have. Yeah. It also needs to know what you have just eaten. Of course. And what you are currently eating. Mm. So short term, right? Yeah. And those signals come from your from your gut. Yeah, right? gut to the brain. That's right, mm -hmm. the gut to the brain. But imagine if some signals are if your brain is slightly less sensitive to those. Yeah. So not you receiving can the regulation. Ex exactly. Mm. Then you can say, well, instead of eating a thousand calories, which yeah. you've actually eaten, for example, mm -hmm. your brain thinks you have only eaten eight hundred calories. Oh, so we can see where we get in this cycle where people really are starting to overeat or eat more if they possess this specific this type of gene. Set, set of genes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But the 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 actual output of this mm. is you feel slightly more hungry. Yeah. And so the reason why a lot of people are overweight, why some people with a genetic predisposition get overweight, mm. is because, in effect, they're more driven towards food. They're more yeah. attracted towards food, either because they are hungrier. Or their rumbly. appetite regulation is not working. Exactly. And, yeah. so, and so, you know, in studying the biology of this, what I've begun to realize, even though this is counterintuitive to many people, mm. that obese people are not actually to blame for, for, for you know, mm. how they are. Because if your brain is telling you you're slightly hungrier all the time, mm. it's always more difficult to say no. Yeah. And if it's always more difficult to say no, then 
then you're going to end up slightly larger. It's such an interesting point to make. And I think there's a lot of people trying to point blame. But actually, I think no one would ever choose to live a lifestyle to be obese or to have a disordered relationship with food. You know, all these types of things. And what you've provided is some kind of clarity, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, there's a reason when you go out for lunch with your friend, one person can always have more cake than the other person. Yes. That I think I remember you talking about in another lecture, actually. Uh, and, and that person, <laughs> yeah. what's interesting is that person yeah. who during the meal who has maybe slightly more cake yeah. may not be heavier than the person next go. door either. Exactly. And so therein yep. then lies the complexity of the situation in which just because you behave in a certain mm. way or look in a certain way, human beings... You know, our brains are designed to model the environment. That's how we've survived. Yes. Okay, so in other words, yes. we wander around in a savannah, we'll see red berry, <laughs> delicious, right? Yeah. Where's the red berry? This is not going to poison me. This is good for yeah. you. So it models that the next time it sees a red berry, I can actually eat it. Yes. So we look at other people and we can only model ourselves. So mm. I can only say, well, I, I went on this diet or I can <laughs> say no. Why can't she or he say no? This is a big problem. And I think a lot of, especially in a specific fitness industry related area, we see a lot lot of personal trainers at the moment or voices in the fitness industry saying you are to blame it's you you have no willpower but actually if the brains aren't regulating things it, it is our brains effectively telling us how much we should be eating yes yeah. i mean look once again i just want to i just want to cl- uh, um clarify again mm. clearly with the environment being there exactly it, it makes help. it difficult to say no yeah. so 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 we have to think about it both from a a perspective of our biology mm-hmm. as well as our interaction with the biology yeah. but we cannot blame obese people for being obese in this environment that we live in. The environment is driving them to make it more difficult uh, for them to say no. It's tough. Times are really tough. And I think we do have so many different factors at role here and things that can play a role. Things like sleep as well. Would you say that there's research into sleep and how that affects genetics or how that affects appetite suppression or stimulates hunger? I think so. I mean, I think probably not as as much as other things, but Mm. undoubtedly sleep when you work, so of are you course. a shift worker? Yes, um, yes. When people eat, I think all of this, certainly at a population level, yeah. has uh, influences on our on our body weight and, yeah. and, and, and influences the whole system. I think each in of itself mm. is unlikely to be the cause of the obesity epidemic uh, uh, that, that, that we're in, yeah. but undoubtedly they do play a role. And do you think that in terms of an evolutionary perspective, uh-huh. um, this actually wasn't something I was intending on asking you, That's but I right. think it's, it's quite an interesting point. Do you think we are evolving, A, to be larger anyway because of the environment we're in, but do you think our genes are going to adapt to that point of evolution? Evolution, where we will all one day be a lot bigger than we are right now, and that will be healthy. No, that's a very good question. I, I, I'll take the two, the two parts. <laughs> yes. I'll handle the okay. first part first. Are we yeah. uh, evolved to, to, to get larger yeah. in, in, in this environment? Um, I don't think we're evolved to get larger in this environment per se. So what mm. happens is it depends on the pressure, the selection pressure that yes. we're under. Yeah. What we all are evolved to do is to eat when we're starving. Course. Because those who chose not to eat when they were starving are now dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all of us have a very universal response to that. Mm. All of us, however, or many of us, then have a different way of responding to too much food mm-hmm. because too much food is only a relatively new phenomenon. It is. That is true. So therefore, why the big difference yes. as opposed to starvation, death? Yeah. Uh, um, whereas lots of food, some people are fat, some people are thin. Yeah. Okay. For for, for that. So are we evolved to become bigger? It depends on our genes that mm. that, that are there. Will we adapt? Mm. I think then it depends what the pressure is. Of course. Okay. So so now, undoubtedly, carrying too much fat is 
then we can talk about what is yeah. too much fat. But carrying too much fat is not healthy for you. No, it increases and your risk of lots of different things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But whether or not it decreases your chances of reproducing, that's the first question. Ah, so if it does, mm. and there's some evidence that at the extremes it could, yes. then maybe those genes are now stopping being selected for. Yes. But we're looking at only a few generations. We're not looking over tens of thousands of years yet. So I But that is th- true because, of course, for people going through fertility problems mm-hmm. or looking, we do look at weight as one of the things in my mm-hmm. nutrition clinic. We do look at how yep. healthy are you because that's going to dictate your chances that's of getting di- pregnant. It is, it yeah. is going to dictate mm. your chances. So is that having now, is, yeah. is there a beginning of a selection that's going on there, right? Mm. I'm, I'm just asking the question. Yeah. I'd hope to think that we could come up with a cogent solution to fix the problem before it became an, an issue but I think it's worth talking about yes I agree and and then the other thing that we want to that we want to talk about is whether or not being obese increases the chance of dying so mm-hmm. therefore also therefore stops you stops you reproducing now that yeah. is that's another that's another <laughs> issue entirely yeah, yeah, yeah. and thirdly does being obese independent of your genetics, May mean you pass on risk to your children. Well, yes, this is something that we've been looking a lot on things like Barker hypothesis, and you know, if you are overweight when you have your child, does that independent of your genes, Mm. okay, also influence? And so it's complex. It is, and I think um, I don't happen to be an expert at that. Just to let you know, no, no, it's okay. But but I think we do need to look at it holistically if Mm. we're going to try and have a fighting chance to actually fix this problem. I agree, and I think it's good to go back to basics from a nutritional perspective, but on an overall, like we've just said, overarching problem that we have at the moment in the Western world especially, we can't simplify it too much because it is so complex. It is complex. As you've just said. Yeah, I think the temptation is Mm. oversimplification. Yeah, totally. And that that doesn't tend to actually help anyone, I don't think. No, I think we all need to be much more understanding as a nation on a whole and to show a bit of compassion and try and do something as a community to help one another. I think that's something that's very difficult to get across, especially without a lack of education in the area. But do you think there's a way we can change our genetics or are we kind of stuck with them for life or... Um, is is that some kind of miracle that we could try and achieve? Okay. Well, I think it depends on how you mean. Okay. So, mm. so if we if we deal with what's been in the news very recently, gene editing. Yes. Right. I mean, there is that Chinese scientist. I don't know what has happened to him. <laughs> who's claimed to have who's claimed to have edited um, those twin girls? Yes. Okay. Tell everyone first of all what that was about a little okay. bit. Yeah, go into that. Okay, so leave. Let's leave aside mm-hmm. for today's discussion because otherwise we're talking all that day. That is true. That is the, true. The the ethical discussions about this. I agree. Actually, we're just going into kind of the facts of the matter let's, here. Let's, yeah. so, so we're dealing at the moment with yeah. in principle rather than a, a, anything. I, yes, anything we're doing. That's fine. So, so what happens is gene editing allows you to, in effect, go in and make. It's like having genetic tweezers. Mm. We've always had an opportunity to make genetic changes. This could be by selective breeding, which yes. we've done for for ages, yeah. or it's a scary word to some. Okay, GMO, genetically of modified. Course. Yeah, but those are actually were, were relatively blunt tools. Mm-hmm. You could sort of kind of get something in somewhere using a, a number of different techniques, right? That's a good explanation. Um, yeah, but now with this, the advent of of uh, of gene editing, which mm. is a genetic tweezer, we in effect can go in and make exactly the change we want to make with differing efficiencies where we want to make oh, in, wow. in almost every single creature that we can think about. <gasps> All right? So that's the power. Goodness. That's the power. Yeah, I'm glad we took ethics out. <laughs> that, exactly. So, so, that, so that's the power. Yeah. Now, if, for example, let's take these kids with no leptin. Mm-hmm. Now, they have a mutation in one gene which is causing their problem. 
can we go in and correct that gene in some of these kids so that they never pass that gene on? Um, in theory, it is possible. Mm. Okay, and some people may choose to do that to remove muscular dystrophy from their family forever, cystic fibrosis, yeah. Huntington's disease. Yeah. Okay, you can, you can all mm-hmm. kinds of, of diseases. Um, can we make a change to the general obesity? Well, the technology at the moment doesn't exist to change three or four genes, let alone hundreds of genes. Mm. So in other words, my predisposition to being a few kilos heavier than I'd like is probably not changeable from a genetic point of view, no. um, certainly using today's technology. Okay. okay? So that's, that, that's the yes. answer to, to, to that question. Yes. That being said, while you can't change your underlying genetics, your mm. DNA, that, that is there because you're born with it and that's and that's Of course, that is life. That is what it's You yeah. can influence how your genes are turned on and turned off. Okay. okay. And this is through something called epigenetics, which yeah. means that you put decorations on the genes and largely they influence how you turn on and turn mm-hmm. off. And those can be influenced by the environment. So yeah. if you smoke, for example, mm-hmm. you could change the epigenome of your, your lungs. Your diets, of course. Your yep. diets, yep. high fat diet, mm-hmm. low fat diet, high sugar diet. Yeah. Whether or not you're stressed. Stress and is these a big one, yeah. kind of situations, you can actually um, influence how your genes turn on and turn off. Now, I'm once again, I'm not saying that we know that if you have X grams <laughs> of fat, this is going to happen to you. <laughs> yep. But it's the subject of, of a lot of research of yeah. people being interested in how these various um, insults, I'm going to call them, okay. Okay, influence how our genes are turned on and turned off. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think it's something that we should all be very aware of is that the lifestyle choice we make will be impacting us on a level, a cellular level, we just don't see. Yes, at the moment. At, every at every the, single day. Correct. And it's it's fair to say as well, I mean, this is on a... Comp- oh, your phrase, the favourite phrase I have to throw in there yes. is, are your genes to blame when your genes don't fit? Mm-hmm. That's the title I know you've used a lot, I but have. that's something that I think people should go away today at thinking about as well. But are you a bit concerned about the popularity of veganism, often pursued in the terms of wellness so perhaps does it hold any similar dangers um because i know on bbc trust me i'm a doctor Mm. you went vegan for a month i did um could you kind of share that experience with us and do you think there's a pathway a similar pathway to clean eating with people going vegan potentially ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay. 
So I, I, I was asked to go vegan. Um, the question I was asked to answer was, mm. is being vegan healthy? Exactly. Okay? And, and once again, like dealing with ethics, I think there are people who do become vegan for ethical and environmental reasons. Precisely. And I fully respect that. Me too. Okay? But, but it was a health program, so we were talking about the, about the health version. Yeah, we're talking and, about health. Exactly. So they said, um, they asked me, well, would I go vegan for a month? And whether or not, um, and how healthy, how healthy was it with, with everything that was there? Mm. It was an interesting experience. I'm sure. I mean, the, f- the, the, the f- <laughs> I was a bit terrified yeah. because I am a meatitarian. It's yep. not even a word. <laughs> but, but I decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try it. So mm. does vegan equal healthy? food-wise. Yeah. And I realized during the research phase, you know, before I started, that the answer was absolutely no. So clearly, yeah. I could spend the entire month eating crisps and chips only. There right? you go. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that would have been perfectly vegan. Yes, it would have. And very ethical. Yep. And I would have gained a lot of weight. Yes. Okay? And so <laughs> and so I didn't want to be some dude who, who, who went vegan diet for four weeks and gained weight. That would have been pretty rubbish. Yeah. So, so, um, so I actually ended up doing a, um, a plant-based whole food diet. Okay. Meaning that, meaning that rather than, um, I, I don't want to be food judgmental, but I was just trying to eat more whole foods and well, plants like you actually, actually see them. That's what plant-based means. The definition is actually just reduction of animal produce and increase of exactly. And, and so, and I yeah. chose, and I chose to do that. Yes. Okay. And 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 and, and that is and that is fine. Um, I also chose not to use meat replacement products. Okay. Once again, this is a personal choice. I'm yes. not. I'm not making because if you have pulled jackfruit as a pulpo, that's perfectly fine. I think. Well, I actually have to add on a nutritional note. Jackfruit is not a source of protein. A lot of people <laughs> use it as a protein <laughs> replacement, and it's is it just it's, largely fiber? It's just fruit. Yeah, oh, it's, it's just, just vitamin it's just C and a bit of fiber, and that is it. Yeah. But what I found personally <laughs> was that when I tried to replace the meat with, if I tried to cook a dish that yeah. had meat in it but replaced yeah. it, I ended up missing the meat. And I said, ah. "Well, this is this is me personally." But yeah, it's interesting. And so I ended up cooking dishes which were never designed to have meat to begin with yes and then i didn't actually uh, miss miss the meat anyway cut a long story short i got to the end of my four weeks 29 days not that Mm -hmm. i was counting (laughs) and i ended up losing um four kilos which is times 2.289 10 pounds wow i lost 10 pounds in weight Mm. and my blood cholesterol levels dropped by 12 percent yeah so on the face of it my goodness, I am I am the face of veganism. Yeah, uh, um, you know, and therefore it must be it must be healthy. But let's look at it a little bit more scientifically. Mm. Why did I lose the weight? As it turns out, um, we talked about caloric availability. Yeah, vegan food is a less calorically dense. Yeah, meaning you have to eat a lot of vegan food to match a you steak. You have to eat a lot more to you, get the same to nutrition. Get the same, right? Yeah, and there's only so much time in a day for eating. There is, especially for pulses and things. Exactly, <laughs> and it's also less calorically available. Yes, and so while I was I was eating as much as I could of the food, I still ended up losing weight because I was because I was absorbing less calories. It was higher in fiber. It was higher in fiber. Mm-hmm. So veganism for me just happened to be a useful strategy to eat less. Yes. But that does not mean that it is a useful strategy for everybody. Thank so you. I, so I've just, I got a, 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 a book out actually called Gene Eating. Yes, uh, which let, I read. love your book. I love your book. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. great. I was and, waiting for so long for it to come out. <laughs> and I call it Gene Eating as a play of, of, of clean eating. Um, it's about obesity and about diets. Mm. But one thing I write in there is... What you've got to do is find a strategy to to to, to lose weight, and yeah. veganism for me just happened to be one of the one of the strategies. But if you ate less, if you went intermittent fasting, if you did any number of things, you could also do the same the yeah. same thing. Why did my cholesterol levels drop? 
Okay, so that's the second. That's the second big headline. Yeah, it is. It is. So undoubtedly, the reason why my cholesterol levels dropped was because I stopped eating saturated fats, which tend to come from from animal produce. Yeah. But there are a couple. So once again, you might think, "Aha! There we go." See, I told you. So a couple of things (laughs) here. So I do happen to be someone whose biology you know, is influenced, my cholesterol levels are influenced by the saturated fats that I eat. And that's because of my biology. But there are many people out there, however, Mm -hmm. who's, because of their genes, Mm -hmm. their cholesterol levels will not shift by saturated fats. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I probably would have achieved that same drop in cholesterol levels if I had moved to a pescatarian diet. If I had eaten, instead of eating red meat, I eat uh, oily fish. I agree. And that would also... Have have, have had the same effect. Totally. So once again, it was a strategy that works for me. I mean, so much so, before people think that I'm bagging on being vegan, I'm not. Mm. I mean, I'm now flexitarian. I'm vegan at least uh, uh, most lunchtimes, not today's lunch, (laughs) but most lunchtimes and twice, uh, you you know, a night Mm. a week. Um, because it is a useful strategy for me. Yeah. But it is not a strategy for everyone, first. Yeah. And second... And this is a thing which is which has always caused me trouble when I say it, but I'll say it again. Okay, go all ahead. right. I draw a huge distinction between being vegan and being vegetarian. Mm. The vast majority of the world, or okay, many people in the world, are pretty close to vegetarian. Yes, because meat is expensive. So, in other words, if you had a cow or a goat or a sheep. Yeah. You're not going to eat it. You're no, going to milk course, it. You, 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 you drink the milk. You eat yeah. the cheese. And at some point, maybe during some festival yes. or something like that, you may have a little bit of meat. Yes. So largely, people are vegetarian. And I consider that actually to be, to, 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 to be, to be true. Yeah. Veganism, however, is a first world choice. I agree. Okay. So it's a choice that I make. Yeah. It's a choice that someone else might make. Yeah. And it can be the healthy choice. Yeah. But we have to check our privilege. I really think we do. Thank you so much for raising that because it's something that I think is coming out in, well, rather loudly in the press, in the media. And it's okay for us in the UK or people that have access to different types of foods. They can pop to Whole Foods if they want to try something or they know how to cook that. But if all you have is your goat or your cow... In, in your yard, you know. You Who are we to judge? Yeah, precisely. That they drink milk. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, uh, it's judging a ridiculous food thing. choices is something that I think is, or labeling in that way, it's never right and it's never okay. I think it's down to the individual's prerogative, what they choose. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and as long as you know that as a choice, exactly. don't foist your choice upon someone else. Completely. And I find myself as a nutritionist, I actually don't talk about my personal food preferences a lot ever because I don't want people to feel like that's what they should be doing too. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult because in a position of influence, you don't want to be saying, that's well, fine. I do this. Because if someone comes to your clinic and says, well, what do, you, what do you eat? And then you say this, okay, well, I'll eat that. Yeah. You look great, I'll eat that. There you go. And, and yeah, this won't work for them. It just it's just not the same. So we've got a few more questions left on this yes, side ma'am. of things. Can I ask you about sugar? Yep. I mean, do you think it has a place in everyone's diet? Yes, I think it does because sugar is our base fuel. Yes. Okay. So, so or, or sugar is the simplest of the carbs. Yeah. And and we we need everyone needs some sugar. Do yeah. we eat too much sugar? Do we drink too much sugar? Yeah. We do. And that's the definition between defining, um, you know, refined sugars or free sugars, as we call now, and things that come naturally in your veggies and your fruit. That's right. So, 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 do we have too much free sugars? Of course we do. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) but. Is it the root of all evil? Is the white stuff, you know, people go, it's like cocaine. It's I know, not like cocaine. it's really, and it's not addictive either, is it? No, it's not addictive. No, it's not. Yes. I mean, people may, you may have addictive behaviors, but of sugar course. in of itself, there is no evidence that it is, 
like a drug. No. Okay, okay for yeah. that. So I think it's a dose. It's yes. a do- it's a dose issue. I do take exception to free sugars in drinks. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, I, I draw a distinction between a, a sugary drink and, mm. and food. Why? Mm. Because when we eat, whether or not we're eating sugar mm. or fat or fat and sugar, and we start chewing, yeah. um, our body and our gut, it's getting ready to receive it because exactly. the chewing action means... It's part of the digestive process. Thank you. And mm-hmm. so your body says, I'm ready now to receive calories. <laughs> yeah. The problem with drinking your calories or drinking sugar is you can literally drink hundreds of calories in seconds. You oh, can. No. You yeah. can. And so by the time it goes in and gets absorbed into yeah. your system, your your body has not had the chance to react. Totally. So by the time it reacts, you've already absorbed 500 calories. Yep. Okay, maybe. And so I don't and, – and sugary drinks per se mm. are not something we would have seen. The problem is not something we would have naturally seen because not, mm. free, sugars would have been found in, say, 50,000 years ago. Yeah. Ripe fruit yeah. and honey. Yeah, if you're and, lucky and, enough to be able if, to get up that tree and get exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. and get stung by the bees. Yeah. Um, and so sugar itself is something we had little of. That doesn't mean it's bad for us mm-hmm. in, 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 in moderation. And so I do draw a distinction between eating the sugar and drinking the sugar. I agree completely. And I think that's why we have a sugar tax in the UK as well. So we do have a big thing in the UK around sugar. And I know you recently said as well that you didn't find out you were lactose intolerant until uh-huh. you were in your 40s. That's right. How do you think that's linked to the complexity of the food environment that we live in? I mean, how did that realisation come so late in your life? You know, <laughs> just out of interest. No, no. See, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> yeah. This, this, it's oh. Now, what do I study? I study food intake. Okay? Yeah. I study genetics. Yeah. And and I'm Chinese, and I see that my dad couldn't drink milk. Yeah. Why did I not Think even it was reflect? I think what I've learned about lactose intolerance is that it's my dad. He can't even watch a Pizza Hut commercial. I mean, he's so he's so completely lactose intolerant. <laughs> Whereas my mum um, can't drink milk, as it turns out, mm. but can eat uh, hard cheeses and so maybe have a little bit of pizza. With less stuff. lactose in it. Yeah. Mm. And so that's the same for me. Yes. And so it just never occurred to me. Then mm-hmm. when I found out, and I did this by doing one of these genetic tests one day, I said, lactose intolerant. No. <laughs> my, morning, my morning poison used to be a cappuccino. Yeah. And so I stopped. My morning poison. Yes. I, I now bring black coffees. When I okay. change, shall we say <clears throat> certain symptoms? Oh dear, disappeared. Bless you. Yes, good. <laughs> and so, so that, but but I think that's what it is. We but do you just need learn to live with those symptoms because you, you think it's to okay. Live with those symptoms, and I so yeah. I think understanding our feeding behavior is an interesting thing and less less easy than it might seem. Yeah, but that goes back into my um, question, which was um, some people have foods that they love or they're predisposed to love. Uh-huh. Do you think that's the case? Like for me, I'm addicted to things like, I just love aubergines. I can't describe it. They're my favorite vegetable. If I go out to a restaurant, I just want to eat aubergines. Is there some kind of genetic link behind that? So I think <laughs> there are going to be huge, when it comes to food that we crave, Yeah. particularly if we're talking about very specific types of food, yeah. then there are going to be huge cultural influences. Yes. Okay, So clearly you had an exposure to aubergine, mm-hmm. you know, I maybe love dim sum or something or something along, yeah, along, along these lines. Yeah. However, however, our predisposition to prefer fat over sugar or the ratio between fat and sugar, mm. that is likely to have huge um, to have huge genetic influences. It may appear as a different food depending mm. on your Turkish or Chinese yeah. or, or, or Australian yeah. or wherever you come from. But if you like pastry, for example, yeah. my wife loves pastry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves that mix. Okay, okay, me pastry, it's okay, but that's not. Whereas I prefer the stuff on the fattier side. Okay, okay? and that 
is very likely to have genetic influences that I happen to like fattier food yeah. rather than carbier food. That's not even. And a word. what about? So I also read that the baby in a womb gets the preference for sweet things in the amniotic fluid. Around the babies, if the mum's eating a lot of sugar in the diet, the baby can develop a preference. I don't know if that's something that you've ever looked on or touched upon. I've heard this mentioned. Yeah. So I am not an expert. Let's put it this way: I'm yeah. not an expert, so yeah. I don't know. Okay. But from first principles, mm. uh, it probably could happen. It makes sense. Doesn't it, it, it? It could happen. I don't know if it does, but it's not something that is completely crazy. No. Well, we have questions from followers for you now. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'm just going to throw you on the spot because you haven't seen these. So Ellie has said, everyone in my family is overweight. Am I and my future children destined to be too? Well, Ellie, we've kind of touched on that, but a quick answer to that? A, qu- a, a quick answer oh. is you may have an increased risk of it, but that yeah. doesn't mean that you will become. And my one analogy is I will never, ever, ever run as fast as Usain Bolt, and that's because of your genes. But that doesn't mean that if you train, you won't be able to run faster. So oh. you can work with the genes that you have. You're not destined to become fat. I like that. It's a lovely answer for Ellie there. So Ted has said, what do you think the government's calorie counting... <laughs> what do you think of the government's calorie counting mindset? I think it's overly simplistic. I think we need to talk about the types of foods that we could be eating. Yeah. I mean, like I said, as I mentioned, if they say, well, you have to keep your snacks to 100 calories, what does that mean? I know. I, it, it means... It I means, have a real problem with that. <laughs> it, 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 it means it means nothing. I think we have yeah. to have a better way of, of passing that message across. I agree completely. Maria has asked, I've got one of those home test kits um, claiming that I shouldn't be eating cheese based on a finger prick. Should I take it seriously? Okay, so it depends. If she shouldn't be eating cheese because she's lactose intolerant, That's a different thing. Then that is predictable because that is down to one gene. Yeah. Now, if she shouldn't be eating cheese, so I haven't seen this this, this test scores, because she is more sensitive to fat, then Mm -hmm. that's probably not true. Because Mm. what happens is while their their traits such as lactose or alcohol uh, metabolism uh, is down to one gene. Yes. Many others, such as my likelihood of becoming fat, do I yeah. prefer carbs or fat? Those yeah. are likely to involve hundreds of genes. Okay. And so that is unlikely to be true. So it depends on what the test depends actually says. I'm going to throw in a question from me, uh-huh. um, just because I want to. Uh-huh. And it's my podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're the chair, chair's prerogative. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I witness a lot of these DNA test kits at home dictating um, a whole variety of things that people should be leaving out of their diet. I get it a lot in my clinic. And as far as as I'm aware, there's no evidence that people should be using these to dictate whether or not they can have grapes or almonds or um, tofu. I've seen it all, literally everything, egg whites or just the yolk. What's your standing point or viewpoint on these home test kits? I think the home test depends what you're asking from it. Yeah. Okay? Um, as, I, as I said, if there are traits which are down to single genes, very rare, lactose, yeah. alcohol, caffeine. Yeah. Okay. Those are something which you can actually predict. Oh, it's interesting. Caffeine, that's uh-huh. good. Everything else, okay, are complex traits. And these gene testing companies, all of them, they're not lying. They're using data from published papers. Mm. But these papers are looking at population-level risk rather than individual predictions. Of course. And so, to at least today... And in the near future, these tests for I, you should need grapes or something yes. like that are a waste of your money. I think they're useful yeah. to say maybe if you're a Viking, uh-huh. uh, um, you lactose intolerant, <laughs> yeah. Um, but and maybe for some or just a nut some, allergy or something yeah, a bit or, more. Or well, not allergy. You'll know without the well, genetic tests. Without the genetic tests, yeah. I think they are from a dietary prescription point of view mm-hmm. or for an exercise point of view, yeah. um, a waste of money. 
Thank you for clearing that up. So I hope everyone out there that sees these advertised on Instagram can take that away from that. So the last question was from Marco. My girlfriend is doing this detox, which means she's only eating raw food and juice. Is she wasting her time or should I join her? So one of the arguments of uh, of, of raw food, yeah. a a okay, no, 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 let's back up, let's okay, back up, okay. let's back up. Detox, <laughs> detox. You can detox by not eating something. So yes. say you want to go dry January because uh-huh. you've had too much port over Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's a detox. That's yeah. perfectly fine. Okay. Yeah. If you are a drug user, you want to get it off, or you're smoking and you want to detox, you stop yeah. it. There's nothing you can eat or do to speed the process up. Mm. You need a healthy liver. You need healthy kidneys. Mm. Okay? So the term detox in the food industry means I'm going to have something to detox me, such as a juice. And that does not actually make um, any sense, exactly. any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. There you go, Marco. So detox is a bit of a marketing con, I would say. It is say, a marketing con, yeah. To get people to spend their pennies. So we have my favorite part of the podcast oh, yeah. now, Giles. Yeah. It's a quick fire round. It's called Fact or Fiction. So are you am, ready? I, am I the one saying fact or fish, yes, fiction? Y- yes, you are. Go, go. You're allowed to do a little bit of extra wording if you want as well in and around it. Okay. So um, I got a lot of these from your book, Gene Eating. You oh. cover so many myths around diet culture. So I want to make sure this is okay. So number one, genes alone dictate our weight. Uh, myth. Our food preferences are driven by our parents. <laughs> they're driven. I think they're influenced by our pa- parents, but also influenced by our genes. Okay. Going gluten-free is the healthy thing to do. Not if you can handle gluten. We can override our genes with a healthy diet and regular exercise. Yes, we can. Sugar is bad for you. Uh, In excess, but not if you take it in moderation. These are such good answers. So diplomatic. We should all be taking extra vitamin supplements. Okay, so I'm going to have the pause here. Okay, it depends go. on depends on what vitamin <laughs> supplements. Stay away from fat-soluble supplements. There you go. If, if A, D, E, and K. That's right. If you're like me, a tropical boy living in a northern rock, um, yep. <laughs> vitamin D. If you're a, if you're a, a young, uh, if you're a female, maybe iron. If you're trying to get pre- uh, uh, pregnant, uh, folic, acid. Uh, folic acid. And if you're a vegan, B12. And iodine. I'm and iodine. And there. iodine. There Thank we you. go. Yep. <laughs> Gut health can help weight loss. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know if it can help weight loss. I think gut health is important. So it depends what you mean by 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 weight loss. I'm going to I'm going to go with a middle on that. I don't know. Okay. We should be using DNA test kits to dictate our food choices. No. Going vegan is healthier than eating meat. No, not 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 as a not as a you know as a blanket statement. <laughs> I've been a bit mean here. Um, in the future, we'll be able to dictate our children's genes. Ooh. No. I'd like it not to be the case, even though maybe we could. Thank you very much, Giles, for answering those. So that nearly wraps up the entire episode. Uh But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today is that our bodies really are as unique as our personalities. So each of us should strive to find a way of eating that works for us individually. I believe in empowering everyone to embrace a healthy way of living through the food that we enjoy and the life that we lead. Almost half of all Brits have tried to lose weight at some point. And with this figure rising to a high 57% for just women alone, and almost two-thirds of dieters say that they're pretty much on a diet all the time or most of the time. Large numbers of you have experimented with dieting in some shape or form, and some of you may have even made some more drastic changes in the way that you eat. And if you have, it's likely that you have seen some results, at least in the short term. 
But what fatty diet peddlers do not share with us is that the true measure of a diet isn't how you feel hours, days or even weeks later. It's how you feel after months or years. That's the key here. If I could ask you, Giles, to share one thing for our listeners that would be your food for thought today, what would that be? All right. Um, I do think that carrying too much fat mm. is not good for you because it's associated with, with, with disease. Yes. But what does it mean by carrying too much fat? Now, when we gain weight, we don't get fat. We don't get more fat cells. We have fat cells are like balloons. They get yeah. bigger and, get, and, and they get smaller. And so what happens is people get ill because the fat cells get full and the fat goes somewhere else. So we do, mm. need, to remu- re- we do need to reduce those, uh, those fat cells. But the interesting thing is everyone has fat cells of different sizes. Of okay? And so in other words, you can have a skinny person yeah. with type 2 diabetes. Yeah. You can have a fat person who doesn't have type 2 diabetes yeah. because their fat cells make me get very big. That doesn't that influences how they look, mm-hmm. but not necessarily how they are on the on, on the inside. So yes, we do need to be able to um, reduce the amount of fat that each of us have below our safe fat carrying capacity. Okay. But that doesn't mean judging someone by how they look is a useful way of judging how healthy they actually are. Excellent. You can be healthy at any size or shape. Dr. Giles Yeo, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening. It's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Can you believe that in the UK we waste over 10 million tonnes of food each year? That's costing the average household nearly £500 a year, and if you've got children, it's £700. I've always enjoyed Mindful Chef recipe boxes, and I love how they order exactly what they need from the suppliers each week. There is no over-ordering or guessing, and you get perfect portion sizes. Each box delivered to your door has a recipe card with enough pre-measured ingredients so that there's no food waste and you can keep your favourite recipes to cook again in the future. To try it out for yourself, head to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought where you can save £20 across your first two boxes and get a free cookbook written by the founders. 